Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. My name is Andrew Metcalf. Uh, I'm on staff at Fellowship of Faith. I'm on staff in the technical role, not necessarily the theological role. But uh, I help host this podcast along typically with Steve Wells, but he is not here today. Today, we are joined by Mike McKay. That's right. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Um, And also, Dave Godini is here. He's a pastor at our church and uh, the idea of this show is uh, to ask any questions you have about theology, religion, Christianity, uh, life, how to you know live as a Christian or not, really anything is on the table. Um, and how we get those questions from you, you can text it to 815-314-0363. And that's any time throughout the week. It doesn't have to be now. Um, we will get questions live if you send them in now, but any questions you have throughout the week, if you're going back and listening to other episodes... Uh, feel free to send those in and we'd be happy to answer them. Um, we're on 216th the net right now. We're in their studio in McHenry with, uh, oh, wow. With I Ken just Jones. Had, I just had a mind. I, I threw him <laughs> off. With that guy uh, over there. Guy. I threw him off with the you hoo I didn't <laughs> you wait. Did. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, yes. mad shout out to Ken Jones. Ken Jones producing in and, the studio. Today. And I see uh, right on the desk, we do have, uh, Steve is with us there. We've got a little likeness of him. Right oh, there. Here you go. Yeah. So a little. You're on video. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great little image of him. I think this has more hair than Steve. Yeah. It right. actually. <laughs> right. I would like to see Steve grow like one, like four foot tall, right off the top. You know, Every just now one then, mine spot. Will get like that if I miss one. It's right. Like, Wait, where's that hair going? <laughs> and if you're just listening on on the radio and you want to know what we're talking about, you can watch us on uh, Fellowship of Faiths. Facebook page or 216 The Nets Facebook page or on their YouTube channel. So you can, you know, see the faces behind these crazy voices and ideas that we have. And Mike, it's good to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us, Thanks, brother. Dave. Yeah. So Mike and I have been, uh, um, Mike is a personal trainer and uh, Mike has been doing personal training with me and I've been doing spiritual training with Mike for about six, seven, I guess, shoot, nine months now yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's been an incredible ride. Mike, I, I kind of love that. Uh, in talking to you, some of it of your ministry dream, if I could put it that way, some of the experience that you've had in the personal training realm and how you want to build on that. Can you maybe just uh, share that with us really quick and with our listeners today? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been doing personal training for, I mean, as you know, professionally for a few years, um, but I started finding out how much, you know, in doing it that the, you know, the mind and the body and everything is so linked together. Um, so one of the things that, you know, down the road that I would really like to do is, is put that together into a much more holistic plan, um, you know, with, with, you know, physical, mental, and, you know, spiritual parts all coming together. I know one of the things that you shared with me was the, the absolute hunger that you've been seeing among younger men. Yes. particularly like late high school through their 20s. Yeah. Not only looking, I mean, you know, most guys that age are really always looking to look better, get stronger. You know, we all yes. you know, kind of want that. But but even more specifically, who have been kind of inadvertently looking to you for moral and spiritual guidance through sure. that, uh, facing life crises, um, wrestling through the deeper things of life. I think just a lot of uh, lack of male mentorship sure. out there that, that you've almost been inadvertently filling a hole on, huh? And... Uh, <laughs> In a way, yeah. There's so much. There's so much deception, you know, for for young guys, and and like you just talked about with with you know wanting to you know look and you know a certain way and do certain things, and and social media is such a big thing, um, you know, especially now. So yeah, you know, combating a lot of that stuff and and helping these guys to you know understand their true identity and you know yeah, and especially in Christ, right? Yes. right, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, as I understand it, you're uh, um, y- you know, you're like the. Uh, you know, the rock star when it comes to the physical side of things. Um, I swear it's like every gym I walk into with you, it's like everyone knows you within like three sessions and it's coming up to you and stuff like that. But, uh, but no, but you're getting degreed up right now. You're pursuing a degree in uh, Christian counseling. I, yes. I, I want to say yes. or something like that. So, yep. I mean, it's really cool just for me to think of what God's going to do with you yes. here yep. in this of combining both the, 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 the theological aspect, the counseling aspect, you know, the physical training aspect. I mean, that's right. a, that's a unicorn, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Well, thanks for being on the show today and uh, yeah, just bringing your perspectives here and love to talk to you a little bit more about some of what God's doing there and uh, sure. your own spiritual journey and how that could even bless and benefit our listeners here this morning. Yeah, sounds good. Morning, afternoon, wherever you're listening, you know, I guess we're central time. <laughs> Anytime, it's much time. Anytime of the day. <laughs> you're right. Right. Um, I know last last episode we ended talking about the different translations of the Bible and which ones 
each of the three of us tend to use and go towards. So Mike, wanted to get your idea on that. What, what different translations do you find yourself going to? So I, I went through this, this thing, it was a, like a few years ago and, and there was a, you know, there was a lot of debate on the translation. So I ended up defaulting to the King James because I was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go back. And it seems like, you know, that seems to be the one that a lot of preachers that I were listening to, you know, we're, we're using. Um, it's got so, 400 years behind it's it. Got, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's to the test of time a little bit. Yeah. Right, right. And so that's, that's actually still a question that I have in a lot of ways is which one, and, and I know there's probably no answers to which one is the best. Um, but now I tend to I tend to try and use you know and, and switch between them you know more as I'm reading it. But switch between them, you said. So I mean, King James has kind of brought itself back into your your purview. But like, what else yes. are you using that you're switching with? Um, like NLT, NIV, um, Amplified. You know, once in a while for pulling stuff out. You know, and going a little bit deeper. Um, so it, you know, because like for apps like you know UVerse and that kind of stuff, where you can quickly switch between things to yeah, see you know the comparisons. Right. I like yeah. being able to do that. Yeah. What have you found to be some of the benefits and maybe even some of the pitfalls or challenges and in playing the multiple translation game in your own devotional life? Um, pitfalls? I don't. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I mean, I haven't come across anything yet. But maybe nah, just good. just good. the confusion in general sometimes of you know which one. Because um, sometimes you, you you do read verses that are that that are quite different when you read them from the different translations so you know then almost wondering you know because it gives it there, there can be two things i can't think of an example off the top of my head but sometimes you do read two different things and you're like well these these tend to say very different things so which one is actually more accurate i guess yeah absolutely and that's kind of my first time coming to terms with that or experiencing that was in college me and a couple of my friends started the a makeshift Bible study uh, in, in one of our dorm rooms where each of us had a different translation of the Bible mm-hmm. and just, we'd pick a random chapter and just start going through it and go, Oh, well, mine says this, mine says this, you know, yours is pulling out this other aspect of it and just being able to have healthy discussion about that. Not necessarily searching for the right one, but what, what different thoughts, you know, and feelings do, does each translation bring out the nuances? Yeah. That yeah. you find right. just in how they're trying to connect with someone in the way that the word things, I find this in just modern day English all the time where two people could say in content, the exact same thing, but the way that they phrase it completely takes me into a different mind arena or, yeah. or uh, point of impact or, or nuance, if you will. I wonder if there's right. a plugin for social media that could take someone's post on there and translate it to all the different ways that they could mean what they typed. That's fantastic. That would be very helpful. I did see a, uh, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I did see a personality profile test on different Bible translations, Mm. but it equated it to the Star Wars universe. And what they did is I think it was 16 different Star Wars characters and they, they, they matched them up to 16 different translations. So for example, like if you are, this translation, this would be your Star Wars character of choice, or you could do it vice versa. So it was kind of fascinating. I mean, I think too, I'm trying to remember, I think maybe Yoda may have been King James, old and venerable and says everything backwards, you know, or something like that. <laughs> is that what you're saying Mike is like? <laughs> yeah, I could take that. I'll take that. All right. Well, let's jump into our first question here. All right. Um, I, this I, this might fit well with you. It's talking a little about physicality, uh, those types of things. But was the physical way that Jesus suffered and died so brutal because of the weight of what he died for was enormous? Ah, great question. Thank you so much for asking. Was the physical weight of what Jesus suffered? Correct me if I'm getting this wrong, Andrew. Was, was the physical weight of what Jesus suffered so big or so enormous because of the implications of what he was dying for. So certainly what is very central to Christian teaching and the biblical witness is that Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died under the hands of the judgment of God. It wasn't just a case that some dude fell into the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people and got unlucky. Mm -hmm. And and I say that because sometimes there is, 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 there's been a very strong strain within biblical thinking and, uh, and people um, both within Christianity and outside of Christianity to, reinterpret Jesus, if you will, along different lines from the classic, historic, biblical, and and Christian witness. And you will see at times people going, well, Jesus was a failed revolutionary, um, or or Jesus with good intentions um, just didn't see this coming, and he just kind of got really unlucky, or poor Jesus fell into the wrong hands. Well, okay, fine, but 
the biblical witness gives something so much deeper to that, that what Jesus did suffer and die under was not just the hands of the Roman government, but under the hand of God himself. But I'd like to kind of recast it a little bit, because sometimes I think it can lead us to a place of thinking that um, the way Jesus suffered was requisite for the sins of the world. Like if he was just to be giving, given a lethal injection, for example, it wouldn't have done the job. constituted it. It wouldn't have done the job. And I'd be very skeptical of going down that path for a number of reasons. One, it starts to assume that Jesus had to die in the worst possible way he could. And I'm not sure you could argue that's the case. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm sure that we could constitute in dream up and Hollywood often has far more brutal and awful ways for people to die. Yes. Not only so there's plenty of evidence from the ancient world that many people who were crucified were um, on the cross for days at a time where Jesus was on the cross for arguably six hours, not in any way trying to undermine the brutality of what that experience was like, the brutality of what he had to endure with the level of scourging and everything else leading into it. But the real issue of crucifixion is not so much the pain factor. And believe me, listeners, I am not trying to underestimate that one single bit. It's the shame factor. The real point that I see the biblical writers, I think of Philippians 2, for example, draw out, is the shame of what Jesus had to endure more than the pain of what Jesus had to endure. I think of Philippians 2, where um, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he says this to him, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a very slave and humbled himself to the point of death. And then he goes, even death on a cross. Because what crucifixion was meant to do was shame the victim. And so it's the point that the God of this universe debased himself to the most shameful kind of treatment and death by the hands that I think has more of a quotient that we should be paying attention to than the pain. Again, I don't want to split hairs here. I don't think it has to be an either or. There certainly is a a gravity to the both and. But no, I don't think we can say he had to die in this method, in this specific way under the hands of God or as judgment on humanity, um, taking the judgment of humanity, rather, I should say, as opposed to other nuances and methods of the way it could be done. Make sense? Yeah, and I think... what I was thinking as you were talking there is it, it wasn't just the fact that he died or the way that he died. It was also the way that he lived that plays a part in that because, because he was perfect, then he could take on the sin of the world and be that atonement for us. You so it's not just in the it. death, it's in his life as well. Yeah. And, central to Christian theology and truly old Testament theology as well. If I can, refer to the first covenant that way as a Christian, of course, is that Jesus put himself in the place of humanity. Jesus was the perfect human. Jesus was more truly human than any other human because every other human has become more of a shadow existence because of the taint or, or defilement of sin. And he did what humanity never could do. And so he could be the perfect representative, not only for humanity, but even more specifically for even Israel who is meant to be the, the chosen people in humanity to be the bearers of, of the covenant and relationship and message of God and, 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 and the light bringers, if you will, to a fallen world that had been, so to speak, disinherited by God, if you will, through sin. Yeah. 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 You got a great question. Great question. Um, in the same vein as that, did Jesus victory over death save any beings other than humans? <laughs> uh, if not, is there a redemption plan for those beings as well? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk extraterrestrial life here, right? <laughs> uh, short answer um, is is yes. And you're not going to find a proof text going. Jesus died for. G- give me a species. Jesus died for the Time Lords, right? Right from uh, um, you know, help me out, listeners. Where are the Time Lords from the Doctor Who universe? I just lost their home world. Um, I should know this, and, and I'm ashamed right now Gina's that I can't be pull it. Very upset with you. Yeah, yeah, but but you get the point. You know, come up with whatever that extraterrestrial species, home world life might be. There's something um, 
the Christian thinkers have actually been playing with for over a century. Mm. But I've heard even rising to the fore more in critical circles in the last 20 years is, is I think a certain acceptance of an inevitability of finding life outside of earth becomes more and more a, shall we say, possibility um, uh, that it's getting entertained more. What you'll see talked about, especially in books like Ephesians and Colossians, which I think might rise to the fore far more than some of our classic um, earth-centric salvation texts, is how Jesus died for, quote, the world. Now, the Greek word that stands behind world in the original Greek manuscripts, of course, is cosmos. And so that when we think the world, certainly I think within the biblical mindset, there's a connotation that this includes earth. But there really is a blowing of this out to include far more than the earth. Um, I think of Colossians 1, and it's, uh, uh, forgive me, escaping the exact wording. I used to have this memorized far better than I do right now. So I'm just going to pull it up and read it. But here's what it says about Colossians 1, verse um, 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And of course, the heavens is far bigger. It's, it's, it's meant to be the totality of the universe. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and through him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hmm. Through texts like this and others, you get the idea of these other powers that exist in the universe. You get the idea that, um, you know, when it talks about the world, I think we should maybe start using the word cosmos to start setting our minds right as English speakers again. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, as classic John 3.16 would put it. But if I use the word cosmos there, it kind of immediately changed your thinking, didn't it? It's, it's no longer just about me. Like, when, it, when I hear the world, I think me. But it's so far outside of that, too. It is. And humanity has been called to be image bearers of God, shall we say, even in the cosmos, um, but certainly among God's creation and God's creation is vast and beyond planet Earth. And if or whether extraterrestrial life is ever discovered, it really isn't a fly in the ointment to Christian thinking. In fact, it's already part of the worldview um, to whatever extent that that might hold, that God is the creator of all things and Jesus is in supremacy and Lord over all things looking to bring his goodness, his creation and God's redemptive plan to all things. And that would easily be included. So yeah. So is Elon Musk doing the work of God? Then, Thank you. Elon by Musk. getting us into space. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you go? I like, Elon to, Musk I like to think like, that I would paid. want to go you know, it's and that paid. I would go. Not this like $20 million a ride thing for 15 minutes in low orbit, but <laughs> yeah, I want to get actually into space. You want to go deep. Like, like, yeah. okay. Like, would you do this? Like if they did like a, a Mars trip, which of course is not really in the, the science fiction realm anymore. This is looking into the more scientific future of things. Mm -hmm. And let's say they were to send, not just like solo sitting in a capsule. Cause man, that would be miserable. What is it like a two year journey or something like well, that? Well, that's where you go yeah. into the, the cryo sleep and you just wake up when you get there. But let's say it's not even cryosleep, but what they did is they sent more of a colony. And not to colonize Mars, mm. but they sent a colony of people. So, like, you would go with, like, 10 or 20 or 50, and there would be reasonable living quarters and I would definitely need things my like own that. Room you would need because your own Because I hate yeah. people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Two years stuck. Two years stuck in just one, like, bunk room with everyone. No. Oh not God. happening. <laughs> Andrew is sabotaging a ship. In space. I can't There's one escape pod. I'm for sure getting yeah. on that and getting out of it. Would there. you do it? All expense paid? I, I think I would need Mike to train me for a while to handle <laughs> to handle the uh, physicalness nope. you need for that. But no like, way. I think say, I, I'd be down for it. I wanted, I wanted would to you be, be the trainer on that ship? I don't know. I needed to be tested a little bit first. 
I think some of those trips out to deep space. Okay, so a few fifteen-minute re-entry trips for us, <laughs> maybe, maybe a moon voyage. That should be pretty proven, and then a good a good space. reason to leave here on Earth. I, I mean, I can think of some reasons why I'd want to leave Earth that might, that might be cut. You know, but, no, but I'm not <laughs> talking permanent. I'm talking, you know, Andrew said deep space, and not that we're really talking deep space at Mars, but you know, we're talking deeper into the orbital field here. Um, would you go for a year, two years? Would you go deeper know. out like that? I don't know. That's a long time. That's nope. a long time to be. It gone. is a long time. Yeah, it's pretty know. dark out there too. I don't know. I'm, I'll go explore nope. the Amazon or something. I think you guys can go to space if you want. Mike, <laughs> Mike, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll go. I'll go sleep in the woods. I ain't going to space. No business with that. See, but I won't go sleep in the woods. Of course, you listen to 216 Net, and this is questions you never thought you could ask in church. Feel free to send us a question anytime during the week. If it just drops on your mind, text it to 815-314-0363. Or if you're out there on any of the social media, feel free to just put it in the comment like Tina did, who says, did Adam and Eve's fall affect more than just the world, the whole cosmos? You know, it would seem that way. The Bible talks very specifically in relation to humanity because that's who we are. And, of course, that's where our field of vision is. Mm -hmm. However, you see in the curse of Adam and Eve, first of all, human humanity doesn't get cursed by God, um, which is important to say. But the created order gets cursed by God as a result of Adam and Eve. Cursed is the ground, the land, because of you, to quote Genesis 3 more specifically. Um, so yeah, you do see a certain sense of, of decay or the effect of sin echo out through the cosmos because of the actions of the imagers of God, which is Adam and Eve. Um, and, and I think there's a sober reminder to all of us that, that, our, effect, that, our, that, our, that our actions affect far more than just ourselves. There is a ripple effect that we all have that goes far beyond, I think, anything we could ever imagine. And I think what's most dangerous is not in the big things, but in the little things. Those thousands of little choices we make, those thousands of little things that we do, or seemingly insignificant things that we don't think will affect many other people that end up sometimes having the biggest butterfly effect, if you will, mm-hmm. um, yeah. than, than we would ever imagine. And it's just kind of wild to think that in Judgment Day, if we're allowed... <laughs> the benefit or the burden of seeing some of those to kind of just realize how lightly we've held certain things and how negatively impactful all of us have actually been. Yeah. And I'm wondering what the, what the earth looked like before that fall. Like, isn't we it can, we can imagine now, but like plants dying and diseases in plants and animals and all these things, like that's a natural part of life, how we view the world. So it's like, what, what was that like before that? I mean, your, your fingernails, your hair are dead cells, mm-hmm. right? Your skin, mm-hmm. where uh, life depends on death and the cycle. Tree bark is, is dead, mm-hmm. so to speak, in some kind of level. And it either forces you to do one of two things to kind of start reimagining what, what it would look like to have like living hair, living tree bark. How alive is a living world that isn't dependent on death? Or it forces you to start redefining what death actually is and how death existed in a pre-fall world. How, how far do you want to push the death metaphor? And that has implications all across the board. Yeah. I'm hoping it looks like the world in Avatar. <laughs> where everything is kind of glowing, glowing and, and blue moved and, by itself. Yeah. I, all right. So that's what my heaven looks like. So yeah, like there, or you, the new earth looks like. If you could be like eight feet tall and blue, like, like would you go that way? <laughs> I would take a little extra height. I don't know about blue. Okay. Because that reminds me of that horrible 90s song. What about like, yeah, it does. I, I, I'm blue, <laughs> I'm, blue, I'm beat, I was dying, I was yeah. beat, I was dying. <laughs> so you have to change the lyrics, man, because you wouldn't be dying anymore. That's true. That's very true. I didn't even know that was the lyrics. I'm blue, I was beat, I was dying. Yeah, I, totally I just is. thought yeah, they were just I, making yeah. up yeah. sounds. I didn't know there were words yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So, so we write that for us, Andrew. We'll have Steve singing at FOF next week with the. Uh, I, that's a great worship opener, I think. It is, right? Right. That's one of my biggest pet peeves when churches just take the tune of some other song and, like, we're just going to change the words to make it say what oh, we so want. Oh, you don't it to like say. that, huh? No, because I think it's never as good mm. as the original. It always feels rip off. So, like, if you're going to write a new song, write a new song. Okay. Don't just 
Okay. So how do you feel about Weird Al? <laughs> I, I think because that's in a that's like in a comedic way. So on my brain justifies it. So he's not satiric, trying yeah, to yeah. preach the gospel through someone else's medium. Okay. Okay. I love Weird Al though. Like I, I love right. his stuff. All right. I Killer think maybe it's because he's player. good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I, I think most churches aren't generally, it's not an improvement on the song. <laughs> well, in fairness, mo- most churches, when they try to do the live, aren't even improvements upon the original <laughs> artist when they do the exact same song. I mean, that's very true. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, jumping back to Elon, Elon Musk and what we can learn from him, and as well as other billionaires, uh, <laughs> we have this question. <laughs> okay. uh, how should I cope with guilt feelings related to receiving God, receiving God's blessings? Mm. Uh, I'm grateful and try to m- remain humble. I know God wouldn't want me to feel guilty, but saying that feels cliche in a way. I've met a lot of families where they don't have as much as I do financially, family support, goods, luxuries, etc. And mm. I can't help but think why me and why not them? You know, thank you so much for asking. I- I've talked and met with so many people who have been in the same part of struggle um, I know I've wrestled through this. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you guys, Mike, you know, Andrew, I mean, you know, just by virtue of living in, uh, you know, middle-class suburban America, we are wealthy beyond measure compared to most of the world population over both um, current day, but certainly over history. I mean, to think that we live better today than kings and pharaohs would have lived, you know, centuries ago. Yeah. Even something as simple as I took a hot shower this morning with indoor plumbing and ate food and drank water that was clean and have a cabinet that is filled in plastic containers that isn't filled with mice droppings and insects. I mean, you could just kind of push this. Yeah. You, you know, I live under a certain blanket of security of knowing that I don't really expect people to raid my home tonight and, you know, rob me blind. I mean, I'm not to say these things don't happen, but, you know, just the absolute wealth that, that we have. I mean, have you guys wrestled with this? In, in varying degrees? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I think it it became a lot more real to me in two different ways. One, when I moved out to Nebraska to go to college and saw a farm mm. with like corn and it, it doesn't just magically appear at the grocery store <laughs> right, for me yeah. to go buy it. Yeah. Like someone has to grow it. Someone has to pick it and clean yeah. it and all these other things. Yeah. But then the biggest one was when I went to Uganda like four or five years ago and the moment I like landed on the plane in that country, I was one of the wealthiest people in that country. Mm-hmm. And that's just mind boggling to me. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a huge, a huge impact in just the mind shift of how, uh, how blessed we are here a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was wild. And so, you know, what I would encourage you to do is what you, what you're feeling is normal. Um, but normal doesn't mean good, Right. And, and so let's, let's talk honestly and, and deal seriously with the, the burden that you're feeling, because I do believe oftentimes as guilt averse as we want to be, and none of us like feeling guilt, right? Guilt is a powerful tool because guilt can be a way of nudging a conscience or a soul to realize maybe things that we're doing wrong, maybe things that we become insensitive to, maybe things that God is calling us out of I, I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in, in his classic book, The Problem of Pain, that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he screams to us in our pain. It is a loud and mm. rousing megaphone to a deaf world. And not that God is like frying you with an ant with a magnifying glass, glass to get some pleasure out of, but he allows us to feel certain things to kind of awaken us and nudge us. Otherwise, we'd be so blind in our comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And so pay attention to that. But, but you know, here, here's the alternative, and this is what some people do. They start to feel bad about the way that God has blessed them. Don't feel bad about the way that God has blessed you. God has blessed you. Rejoice in that. Enjoy that. Thank him in that. But let whatever you're feeling nudge you to say, how can I use that blessing to be a blessing to more than just myself? This is going back to the classic line of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And look, I, I think the problem that we all face in this day and age is, is being such a globally connected community. Um, we see the struggles and plights of the world, and I think we, we, we face a certain kind of paralysis. 
because we realize how insignificant we are in the world scene and how can I fix it all? How can I make any kind of difference? And when you start to think so macro in that way, except for the, the, the rare souls and personalities like an Elon Musk, it tends, I find, to shut the average person down. Start small. Yeah. Just start small. You're feeling nudged in your blessing, a certain sense of guilt because you have a prosperity that others don't share in. Start dreaming actively and strategically right now how you can bless someone else who isn't as blessed as much as you or in the same way as you, right? And then start doing stuff about it. And it's a messy journey. Learn from others who have done it. Trial and error through it. This is not just sending checks to bless people and bless places. I am not underestimating charity like that. It is so necessary and God calls us to that. But it's more than that. Find a way, a call, a passion, someone that you can build into and start doing it and do it wisely, eyes wide open. And, and, and lean into your church leaders, lean into people who have gone down the charity road before you to help teach you in that. Um, don't just write a check to be a salve on your guilt, to kind of write off your guilt. Um, but use your resources and what God is generating in you to be a blessing to others. That's about as simply and, and broadly as I could put it. Yeah. And uh, but, but what I think you shouldn't do is try to empty yourself of that or deny what God has blessed you or feel bad about what you have. That accomplishes nothing. Just doing in your guilt or your bad feelings is just like, that's the worst of all scenarios here. That, that accomplishes nothing, nor what God might be nudging you to do through that. Make sense? Yeah, and I think on the, uh, kind of in, in addition to that with, Okay, so now you've moved in, you are doing this, you know, donating or helping out here or volunteering here. Is it okay to feel good about those things? Is it okay to get satisfaction in being able to do that? Because I think someone say, oh, well, I shouldn't feel good about this. This isn't about me. This is about helping someone else. Like, no, look, God wants you to feel good. God does not want you to feel good at all costs. God does not want you to feel good as the highest priority or goal in life. But feeling good is a, is, is a wonderful ancillary benefit and gift of God when we do his will and pursue his purposes. Um, some people get hung up on this because then they start going, well, if I don't feel good, am I not doing God? No, 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 no. It's putting the cart before the horse here. It's like when you seek happiness or feeling good as the final goal, you often don't find it. But when you seek God's purpose and will as the final goal, happiness and joy is and underline this next word, oftentimes thrown into boot. It isn't a guarantee. It isn't always present. It often comes with hardship and struggle and sacrifice. And 2,000 years of Christian history will witness people who have suffered and died and lived in poverty and given everything, but they found joy despite it. I mean, I remember serving in Jamaica. We were up in a deaf village. And despite all the, um, despite all the tourism that surrounds Jamaica, it really is an impoverished nation. And when you get off the, the gated, the gated resorts surrounded by 10 foot walls and razor wire that, that insulate the tourists in 95% of the country lives in abject poverty. Mm -hmm. And certainly if you have any kind of disability, um, or any other kind of physical or mental impairment, that's going to set you behind. Um, it's not like they have services there like we have here. So you're really behind the eight ball. We were doing mission work among um, the deaf community there because if you're deaf, you're basically left to one of two options. You beg or prostitution. Um, it's not like you can go to a school and get ASL. It's not like you can, uh, you know, have the ADA who's kind of, you know, legally working for you on your behalf. You're just, who's going to hire you? What can you do? And most aren't even going to teach you anything and you're left. So there's these deaf villages that would form. And we'd go up into these deaf villages to help, you know, with building projects and, and meet them. And truly, like many mission trips or short-term mission trips, just for the awareness and exposure is, is, is a very privileged American to realize how other people live and to learn from them. Um, yeah. And you know what was wild about it? And maybe you've seen something similar in Uganda, Andrew. I know you've had time there. Is we would meet these people and they had a joy that I did not see among many Americans they would yeah. come out of one room huts, dirt floor, tin roof, smiling, singing, right? Their clothes were clean and bright. They had very little, but they took a certain sense of pride, um, you know, and, and, and dignity. 
in themselves. And I'm not trying in any way to make light of their hardships. They were deep, they were real, and they were severe. But they found something in each other. They found something in God. They found something beyond the material blessings that we so surround ourselves with and take for granted that brought them joy in the journey. And uh, I think we forget that, but they were a living reminder to me um, of exactly that. So yes, feel good in the work that God is doing in you. Don't deny it. False humility is a lie. All right. God is not looking for false humility. Genuine humility? Absolutely. To go, yes, God has blessed me, rich me, but that doesn't make me better than you. God has blessed me abundantly, but that doesn't make me superior to you. God has poured poured these wonderful things in my life. What a wonderful tool and calling God has given on me is I work among other people, not only to bless who I can be blessed from because we're equal in God's table, right? And there's things I can learn from them. And some of the richest people that I've met who have been filthy rich often get this and, and, and end up being some of the most down-to-earth, humble people, despite their material wealth that you'll ever meet. Yeah. Likewise, some of the most arrogant, prideful people have been the most bankrupt people I've ever met. Yeah, wherever you land on that, uh, on the physical wealth spectrum, you can be completely happy and satisfied yeah. or completely unhappy and satisfied. You will be tested in either place, and it's how you respond in that and understanding God's view of you, right? Yeah, yeah great question. Great question. Uh, and again, we welcome any questions in. Uh, you can text them in anytime to 815-314-0363. Any questions on God, life, theology, the Bible? This is this is the spirit of the show right here. Um, a lot of people have questions about spiritually related topics. They don't know where to go. They don't know who to ask. And the last place that they think they can ask them is in a church because they're afraid that they'll be judged, be afraid that they'll be viewed differently. They don't necessarily trust the answers that they might get. They think it'll brand them in a certain way. And how unfortunate is that? We think church should be a place where you can ask any questions you have about God, the crazy, the heretical, the doubt-filled, the out there, the simple, the complex, Whatever they might be, whatever you believe, this is a show where we welcome them. We'd love to hear them and we'll answer them as honestly and truthfully and straightforwardly as, 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 as we're able and um, hopefully help you guide you on your spiritual journey. So uh, I'm looking at one from Gene up yeah. here. Um, Gene has uh, given us a, uh, a question on Facebook, 21 Sixth and Etter Fellowship of Faith's Facebook page. What is the best way to discern Satan's method in order to deceive us? Yeah. Don't we wish we knew, (laughs) you know, in years of spiritual warfare, um, and still being a complete noob at the whole thing, right? You know, what I learned is that the devil has a masterful way of preying on our weaknesses and hitting us in those areas where we have not put on, as Paul would could it, put it, the full armor of God. He'll find that place where our righteousness is less than what it should be. He'll find those areas where we don't have peace in our life. He'll find those areas where our faith is weak. He'll find those areas where we're not ready to, to propagate and share the gospel of peace. He'll, he'll come at us in all of those kinds of ways, not with the supernatural kind of demonic attacks that we think, but often just Praying on our character weaknesses, our flaws, our past, our guilt, our shame. Yeah, he uh, a slow boil sometimes, right? So oh, I mean, yeah, you things and decisions and little pieces that he's poked at the soft part of your armor, and eventually, when you think life's going to be grand, that's when it breaks through or boils over, and you're like. Why now? To use the ancient wet yeah. warfare metaphors, it's like there's there's literal chinks and literal armor. Yeah. Holes in exposed spot in literal medieval armor, ancient armor, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just that little stiletto who knows how to get between the chainmail links or between the joint plate at the you know where the shoulder you know gets up to the the breastplate or something like that, gets it in there and twists it. Um, he's a liar which means every good liar and every good con man will base their lies on something that is 80% true, right? And so what I find is he will often use um, things that we believe about ourselves and believe about God that are partially true or that we think is true, but we're we're maybe five degrees off center and exploit that. This is what he did with Adam and Eve in the beginning. Did God really say, if you touch, you know, you will die, right? 
And, and there's even deception in that if you go and read the story closely. I'll leave it to you to check it out in Genesis 3. So, you know, Gene, what my, uh, my, my encouragement would be to you is when you're having thoughts, inclinations, motivations, temptations, however we want to put this, right, that seem at odds with God's will, that seem to be bringing up in your life roads that you know are bad, that are creating anxiety, that are creating fear, analyze them, talk to others, bring, bring darkness into light. Mike, I know we've talked about this before, but like one of the greatest, you know, weapons you've said that you've seen is silence, secrecy, and shame mm-hmm. with our sin, right? Yep. That if God, that if the devil can drive us into silence, secrecy, and shame, because we're afraid we'll be judged, right? I mean, you know, you, you don't have to get into specifics here, Mike, but I mean, you've, you've had a journey with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what has that journey been like for you in your past? I mean, how would that practically work in the day to day? Um, yeah, the, I mean, the enemy wants you to, wants you to keep quiet and not, you know, sharing things with other people and especially with other, you know, Christian brothers and sisters, um, because the things that you hide are the things that are easiest, you know, to continue to, you know, boil and, and feed. And yeah, so that kind of stuff that, you know, bringing stuff out into the open and having people that you can talk about stuff with makes a huge difference. You know, something I've appreciated as well about the, um, I was going to say career path, but that doesn't do it justice. The vocation Mm -hmm. that I think God has really planted in you and that you've been practicing and doing is the importance of spiritual fitness. Yes. Um, Because there's a lot of people who I think mistakenly go, well, okay, I know I'm saved, so I'm done, but are often very spiritually weak um, and and so are going to be left unprepared Mm -hmm. for the inevitable tests and temptations and struggles right. that will come their way. And when they do, will find themselves unable to the task of bearing it, right. collapse under the weight, uh, capitulate, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about the spiritual fitness stuff yeah. that, that you're interested in and doing that we've been doing maybe and, and yeah. uh, how to make yourself stronger um, in this regard. So, well, a big one for me, and this ties in because um, one of the one of the tactics that that the enemy can easily use against me is distraction. And so it's not distraction in the sense of like, you know, I just see a, a shiny object and I start running to a whole bunch of different things. It's it's I feel the guilt that I'm not doing enough. So then, you know, if 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 God puts something in front of me to do and, you know, I'm, I'm going after that thing, then all of a sudden there's all these other things that start creeping in that I feel mm-hmm. like I should be going after. Um, and then, and then I, you know, I burn out very easily. Um, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go after the thing that God has put in front of you. And then all of a sudden there's all these other things and you feel like, man, I got to give my energy to all this stuff. And, um, so the spiritual fitness plan coming into that with you, I mean, that was, that was happening with, with, you know, things as simple as, as reading the Bible where I'd get, you know, I mean, I'd have maybe something that, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, focus in on, or I'd have a daily reading plan, but then all of a sudden it would feel like it's not enough. And I need to read more, you know, or I need to study more things. And what would turn into, you know, maybe like a 10 or 15 minute, you know, consistent daily thing, then would become this overwhelming, man, I need to spend, you know, two, three or more hours. And then eventually I wouldn't do anything. And let's equate it to like physical arena because you're a personal trainer. Sure. If someone was to come to you and do that physically, right? would that be sustainable? Right. No. I'm not supposed to go to the gym for four hours (laughs) every day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Every single day. And then think that you're going to up it every single time you go. And in fact, I think it would not only burn you out, but, uh, the fatigue factor, you know, because you're taxing yourself right. is you're finding yourself weaker. Right. And here's, what's funny about that is every time I see somebody that's, that's one of the first things I tell them is don't get wrapped up in the mindset of you have to, you know, spend an hour or two hours in the gym, you know, five, six days a week, that 20 minutes, you know, just a, a couple days a week is better than nothing. But then, you know, I, I do the exact opposite myself in all these other areas of my life. So that's where having that person, you know, to be able to communicate with, and in the case of you and I having that spiritual fitness plan where you could put things in place and say, okay, these are the steps that you need to take. You don't have to do anything outside of that, but let's do these few simple things that made a huge difference. So I know when you and I started working out physically mm-hmm. together, um, you know, and Mike and I for, for months now have been doing, um, you know, uh, weight training and training for races. we got a half marathon coming up and, uh, but, but even a lot of body weight kind of stuff and outdoor stuff, even flexibility yes. kind of stuff, which has been huge. And then of course, nutrition has been huge in this as well. And I mean, and you have a very holistic approach to it. You know, I, I remember when we started working out together 
it kind of started in many ways with an assessment in, in that maybe it wasn't overly formal, but we would just start doing things together. And, and I know you were looking, going, where is he strong? Where is he weak? Where are his abilities at? Right. Where are injuries? Where are limitations? What is the level of investment here? You know, on and on. What are the goals that we're going through? And it was kind of like this rounded out thing. And then we just started small working. I remember at first, really on some major flexibility issues I had that were leading to chronic injury mm-hmm. issues that I was struggling with. Right. And and at first it was kind of like I was surprised because I was expecting to come in and just have you bust my butt. You know, like coming home exhausted and worked and like these crazy kind of things and actually walking away going, that was surprisingly easy today. Um, Going, oh, that's it. We're done. (laughs) And yet over a few weeks seeing far more rapid progression in gains because it was done wisely and strategically as opposed to getting caught in that mindset. So let me throw it back at you now. Right. You know, when we set up a spiritual fitness plan for you, we started with, an assessment, right. like, like, where are you strong in your faith? Mm-hmm. Where aren't you? Where are the overdeveloped areas? What are the underdeveloped areas? What places are you ignoring because you don't like to do it or are unaware of it? What are maybe some strategies that you're going along in your spiritual fitness that are like overzealous or underzealous? What are, what are past wounds, right. injuries that have to be dealt with and, and, and found the healing grace of God to kind of work through? Right. What was your experience like in those first couple of months, especially doing yeah. this? Oh, yeah. I mean, it helped you because, you know, when I, when I came to you, I mean, and, you know, some of those questions, I just feel like I was coming into the office like, okay, this, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm bad at everything. I'm a mess at everything that I do. So <laughs> Which then, isn't true, but your self-talk right, in, is in so your head, you know yeah. what I mean? And then those, so those questions brought things out. And then, so not only did it help me to see, you know, where my weaknesses were, but then also to encourage me in some of the things that I'm already doing right. Um, so that made a big difference too. Um, but the, yeah, the, the, the consistency of, of being able to do, you know, little things. Yeah. So, so let me ask, and, and again, brutal but honesty, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. You're like you're looking at me like in the eyes right now and you got listeners and everything like that. But uh, but no, no I mean, it's only like, a couple hundred thousand. Don't yeah. You know, the last yeah. thing we want to be doing here is propagating, you know, BS or, you know, like what what we think is the right answer. And that happens too many times in churches right? where, you know, we have the ideal, but we don't talk about the reality. Um, after kind of going through this, do you feel like it made you spiritually stronger? Yeah. Spiritually more able to handle the challenges, the temptations and the tests that come your way in life. Yeah. Do you found like you found new progressions in God's calling and vocation in your life and discovering what that is and getting, dare I say off like stuck points or hold like, you know, plateaus. Right. If I can use the physical metaphor. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. And that's not just like blown it out, right? No. um, So there is a methodology to getting spiritually fit. And, And Gene, I'll kind of bring this back around and to all of our listeners is this is what church is supposed to be. Right. It's, it's a place where you grow spiritually and growing spiritually, like growing physically does not revolve around getting fed. Have you ever seen a fitness plan work, Mike, where it's just like, just eat more, <laughs> just, just eat and eat and eat and eat and gorge yourself on food. I mean, that, that sounds like a dream. I wish it would. I would do that fitness. Plan. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'd be all over that. Right. I've been on that one for the last 50 years. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then and don't, don't even pay attention to what you're eating. Eat what you like. Yeah. Eat what tastes good. Eat what you want. Right. I, I mean, a, any, any listener hearing this knows immediately, even though we all laugh about how we want it, how ridiculous that is. But do you know how many times I have people come into a church going, I'm looking to be fed? Mm. Or how many people go, I just don't feel like I'm being fed anymore. To which I'm like, you've been a Christian for 23 years. Get out of the high chair. Take off the bib. Learn to start feeding yourself and learning that spiritual growth is not about just what you eat. Right? Right. Um, And when you frame it that way, sometimes you go, oh, wow, people want to be often passive recipients in church because we so freely receive God's grace and his goodness and his spirit and his nourishment. And believe me, without that, you're lost. Without good nourishment, you're lost. Right. But if it ends there, it goes nowhere. And so just the encouragement to... How do I grow stronger in my faith to prepare myself for what God is calling me to, but also to withstand the tests and taxes that other forces in this world will lay upon me? Right. 
And you can reach us out here to get more details about how we'll do that. And uh, thank you, Melinda. We see someone on Facebook going, I will feed you and I will eat it, Melinda. All right. All of us gladly will eat it here. Melinda's our coffee bar director over at Fellowship of Faith. And I mean, this woman puts out like a 40-foot galley of, of food, a spread every week that it's just like, I, I swear the Lord is going to judge us for the amount of people that we have like, like made diabetic, I think, over the years or led to obesity. But you know what I like? She actually does a good job of getting healthy alternatives out there, too. Yeah. But Melinda, you rock awesome. it. And, and yeah, I hear you. Rock on to Melinda Putnam here today. I, I have two thoughts as I was listening to you guys talk about spiritual fitness. One, which I think is a great slogan, what's your spiritual leg day? Because I feel like everybody <laughs> hates leg day. Everyone hates leg day. I know day. there's some people that say they like it. I don't think anyone does. So what's your spiritual leg day? I actually have a good answer for that. For me... It's showing up to a lot to some of the group activities, even when I don't want to, because I'll have like mm. a lot of social anxiety stuff a lot of time. And that's what's kept me from like getting around some people. But mm. that has been one of the biggest supports in, you know, in growth um, is getting around the community of people. So it's, it's times when there's events and I'm like, man, I would much rather just sit at home, you know, on the couch and do nothing, but, but then getting in and, and that's, so that's kind of my leg day. And cause you're always happy after you do it, then you feel good. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I think that's probably true for a lot of people, Mike. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, in such an individualized, isolated kind of experience that most people live in today, especially in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's definitely for me. I like, I enjoy learning about the Bible by myself, which is not the best way to do it. But it's like I enjoy, you know, listening to this podcast or an audio book or reading this book. But it's the group study settings that freak me out, make me angry. Mm. Like all these other things. I'm like, dad, this person's an idiot. And they keep talking. And it's like, (laughs) how how are people going to learn if you don't converse about it? Um, So I, I find myself becoming very judgy and angry and annoyed in those group settings. But I think that shows where my spiritual weakness is, is okay. Maybe that's something I need to work on then. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's very interesting. I, I think I'm the same way. Like I justify like, Oh, if I just go to that, then I'm just going to be mad and I'm not going to learn anything. <laughs> I love it. And how horrible is and how that? God has a different goal in mind for you than maybe yeah. even learning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mine is actually acts of mercy. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously I'm in professional ministry, um, and for me, the spiritual leg day is what I would call member care. Does that make mm. sense? It's, it's the hospital visit, shut in call counseling one-to-one, just nurturing. I like to have a goal. I like to have a purpose. Like, like, what are we talking about here? Where are we going with mm. this? And that, that nurturing or, 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 or gift of mercy element is not natural to me. And, and I like to kind of put that off and that's not just a professional ministry. We're all called to that kind of thing. Some people thrive in this. That is totally my spiritual leg day. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. And the other thought I have with that is that the, the devil doesn't always tempt us with sin. It's not like, Oh, I feel the devil. So this is the wrong thing to do. Kind of like what Mike was saying. It can be too much of the right thing or just Mm. too many different things or let me turn your attention over to here which is maybe another good thing but his goal is just to separate us from god in whatever way possible um so it's not i don't think it's always a between sinning or not sinning it can be a plethora of things you know you mentioned that andrew and it makes me think of idolatry which a lot yeah. of us don't really feel like we have a, a point of reference with anymore. It seems very Old Testament, very superstitious, very way back then. Mm-hmm. But when you realize that fundamentally all that an idol is, is when a gift of God replaces him as the giver yeah. or takes primacy over him as the giver, mm-hmm. you realize how many idols we have in our life and that idolatry in its very nature, which God warned so vehemently against, is doing that, taking something good that he's given us and making that our focal point. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know I, ha- I, I get that with w- like working at a church. Mm-hmm. It can, it can become just work. So it's like, okay, so when am right. I, when am I getting spiritually fed? Even though we, we've already not like that terminology that. for all that. Yeah. <laughs> but right, right. when am I, you know, I'm like, Oh, well I was at church all week, so I don't need to read my Bible or I don't need to do this because I'm, I'm God's gift to man. And I work at a church and it's like, those are probably the people who need to be working the, 
the most at it outside of their job mm-hmm. because it can, the devil can use that so easily to be like, Oh, you're fine. You don't need to do anything. It's fine. And it's so common among church workers. It's such a, a spiritual pitfall. Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. How about you, Kent? What's your leg day? Spiritual leg day. Uh, mine is just, I, I like the groups. So that's why I have a radio station, of course, too. But uh, it is my spiritual leg is, is just that quiet time, that one-on-one at my house, you know, to say, I need to spend time right now in the word with God. And then okay. I'm like, but I've got TikTok, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, or, oh my gosh, uh, let me go out and, uh, you know, do something in the yard or, or whatever. Uh, so mine is, mine is just the one-on-one and, and probably cause I'm afraid of what I'll hear or experience. Maybe. Right. Mm. And there's safety in numbers. So, uh, unlike, uh, you guys who, who, you know, are like, I'm that idiot who keeps asking those weird questions, <laughs> right. In those groups. But, um, it, it, that's a scary thing to me, uh, is just that one-on-one time to just be, you know, be silent and be still and allow God to, to just be there. Yeah. You know, there's an old, uh, spiritual practice that this gets me thinking about. And you find it in a manifest number of forms, anything from like Ignatius Loyola's examine to, you know, you, you, you name it here and there, but, but to do like a daily assessment. Um, and in, in, in a time of prayer or conversation with God to, to, to physically and tangibly start assessing not only sins in your life that you regret, but areas of, of, of blindness, of weak spots, of, of um, things that you're taking for granted um, d- different people will put this different way and actually like list them and then invite God to challenge you on those and almost make it like a to-do list, if you will, to kind of mm-hmm. approach those. And it, and it really becomes a, an uncomfortable place of God approaching maybe the areas of your life that you don't want him screwing with. You don't really want to change in. You don't really want to hand over because it's hard there and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable and uh, all kinds of leg days out there, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, one of the things for me, like I, so I, I hate silence and I hate like just sitting in silence, whether that's in prayer or meditation or any of those other things, I always have something going on in the background. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, it gets really difficult to try to commit that time then to just reading the Bible without distractions or listening for what God is saying or praying about that. Um, and that's, that's definitely probably one of my spiritual leg days too. It's just, <laughs> I need noise. Yeah. And it's like, how do we just quiet that down oh. and take that Sabbath time that God is telling us to do? But Andrew, even worse for me is group prayer. Mm. Oh, how I loathe it. <laughs> oh, because, because seriously, it's like, you know, and they're like, you're looking around, there's like 12 people in this room and like everyone is giving like their public service announcements and, and masking it in prayer mm-hmm. and they drone on. And on, and I, I remember sitting in this one, like, like when I was going to Valpo and we had this, like this, 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 it was a folk service back then that we would do at night and like, they would open it up to prayer and you just knew it was going to come to this person and you were going to be camped there for like eight minutes solid of just listening to them pray. It's like, and like feeling hate, just shut up. Will someone just <laughs> tackle this person because they just won't shut up. At what point and is then, it justified? <laughs> and then no one else is, is thinking about their prayer because all you're doing is formulating what you want to say in your mind. And, oh, no, yeah. they took what I was going to say. And, and then just all these Christian cliches just come flowing out. And, like, it's not prayer together. It's it's 12 individuals in a room just getting obsessed over what they're going to say and, and droning on to sound eloquent or not sound stupid. And, oh, it's just – that's that's hell. And you just that chime is, in, yes, Lord, yes. That is not only spiritual leg, that is pistol squats. Right. That is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that is – and especially when you're at dinner and you just get the plate of food set in front of you, and that's when somebody goes on the long journey. <laughs> you're like, I'm smelling it. It's right here. It's getting cold now. Right. Well, one of the, the best things I that I learned from you, Dave, at church is that you instituted the, the idea of for prayer. I don't know if you can go into that very quickly, but now this explains why you do that. We'll, we'll pick up on with that in the, the, the next show. How about that, Andrew? Yeah, we'll lead yeah, with like, what is for prayer and how will it solve your spiritual leg day of group prayer now and forever? 
we got Andrew's testimony right here. Hey, guys, we're wrapping up here this afternoon. We want to thank you for listening. Again, this is questions you never thought you could ask in church. We broadcast live every Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Central Time. You can catch us here at 216 The Net or on Facebook at fellowshipoffaith.org. Hey, don't forget to catch our, our, our past recordings. They're all podcasts. Go to fellowshipoffaith.org and uh, go to the FOF Plus page and you'll find the past podcasts and recordings right there. Mike, big shout out to you. Thanks for joining yeah, us on the show me. today. We'd love to have you back sometime to talk yeah. God, life, religion, Absolutely. the Bible. And any questions you have, you can text them in. If we didn't get to your question today, it's in our inbox. We will get to it eventually. This is the place where you can ask the questions on God theology, the Bible, Christianity, comparative religions, how it intersects with life. No question is too out of bounds. We love to welcome them. We'll help guide you in that. Thank you for listening. Um, anything else? I, I challenge you this week to ask someone in your life what their spiritual leg day is or what, or tell <laughs> them what your spiritual leg day is. Because, I mean, we just had a great 25-minute conversation about it. So, Absolutely. Easy way to start. Absolutely. So with that, we're tuning out. God bless and thanks again.